On March the 4th, 1933, newly elected President Franklin Delano Roosevelt addressed a nation gripped by the Great Depression. Roosevelt placed his hand upon the 1686 edition of a Dutch family Bible opened to 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter, and took the oath of office for the presidency of the United States. He addressed the nation in his opening remarks with this, these words. I am certain that my fellow Americans expect that on my induction into the presidency, I will address them with a candor and a decision which the present situation of our people impel. This is, a preeminently, this is preeminently the time to speak the truth, the whole truth, frankly and boldly. Nor need we shrink from honestly facing the conditions in our country today. This great nation will endure as it has endured, with, will revive, and will prosper. So first of all, let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Nameless, unreasoning, unjustified terror, which paralyzes needed efforts to convert, retreat, into advance. In every dark hour of our national life, a leadership of frankness and vigor has met with that understanding and support of the people themselves, which is essential to victory. I am convinced that you will again give that support to leadership in these crucial, or rather critical, days. Of all the challenges of history in the United States, there have been wars. <laughs> there have been a lot of them. The Revolutionary War was one that was catastrophic, but it also built the nation. The Civil War was incredible and the loss of life that happened in these United States. But when you think about the Great Depression, you think about a decade of really bad stuff happening. Bread lines and all kinds of hunger and people that died of hunger and all kinds of issues with farming from the Dust Bowl and, and you name it. But out of that era came the greatest generation of which just a few are still left. Men who would go to fight World War II and come home and literally make a nation of prosperity that we enjoy today. But fear is one of those things that can handicap any group of people. All throughout the Bible we have people that would come back to God even though God had promised and even though God had said what he said they would come back and they would talk about giants in the land and that was such a gripping fear that despite the pleadings of Joshua and Caleb the majority of the witnesses came back and said no way man this is a bad deal there's giants there we're not going Joshua and Caleb were so incensed by that and despite their most earnest pleas there was fear in the camp, and it caused Israel to be something of a sin to God. The definition of fear is an unpleasant, often strong emotion caused by anticipation or awareness of danger. You don't have to have a dictionary to tell you what fear really is, because we understand it. We all have them. The first fear I would talk about is the human hardwired fight-or-flight mechanism that all of us have. In fact, God wired us with this. In Hebrews 2, the Bible says, Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Every one of us have an element of fear of, of death that is hardwired into us. 
If you came here or you're listening to this and you think, oh man, Cullen wants to be at the front of the line to die, you're wrong. I don't. I don't want you to be at the front of the line. I don't want anybody to have to be at the front of the line. It's part of what it means as a human being that God hardwired me to assess danger and risk to respond and avoid death or danger almost at all costs, but not at all costs. The second reverence or fear has to do with the deepest levels of respect and awe for our Creator. David said this, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? It creates a sense of awe and fear in us when we consider the august presence of God. In fact, every story where God showed up, man was on his face. That's just how it worked. You look at Peter, James and John, the inner three, with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, and Peter gets so excited because Jesus is in his glorious state. He is transfigured. And you've got Moses and Elijah there. And it's so amazing to his mind. He wants to build a tabernacle or a church building, one to each of them. And God interrupts him because he was wrong. That wasn't what God wanted. He wanted people to listen. He said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. So that's what happened. Peter's on his face. Jesus has to kind of get him up, and that's how it went down. Whenever you find God showing up, you find people on their face. Now, why is that? We live in such an arrogant world today, you think, I wonder if Bill Maher would do that. Yeah, if you don't know who he is, don't go look him up. He's ridiculous. But he really picks a fight with religion, and he always says that religion is the reason why there's anything wrong in the world. One day Bill Maher is going to be on his face because one day the scripture says every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess. There's going to come a day where we're not going to have to preach about the fear of God. There's going to become a day where everybody is going to recognize what we're talking about when we describe the fear of God. Now I don't want to describe God as some sort of a, a bully that has uh, whips and chains and is ready to, to, to do an MMA battle and just brutalize everybody. That's not what I'm talking about. God's not that God. But He is so holy that He will not only not allow sin into His presence, He will take vengeance upon sin one day to such drastic measures that everything we see here will be melted and disintegrated and He will destroy it, 2 Peter chapter 3. So He is not a God to be trifled with. And even though he allows us to come boldly to the throne of grace, do you realize we're in such privileged time today to be able to do that because back yonder, it wasn't so much fun. You came to the temple, you brought your sacrifice, animals were being sacrificed. The high priest would have to cleanse himself and go into the holiest of holies. Uh, many historians would talk about the high priest. They got so paranoid about whether he was going to be okay with God or not, they would tie something onto his leg with bells, and if, if something happened, they'd pull him out. Because nobody wanted to go in there if he died. That's how much dread sometimes people would have as they approached God. And the beauty of our relationship and our life today in Christ is that we don't have to have that dread. Your faith gives you the opportunity to think of God in Romans chapter 8 as a father. In fact, not just a father. We get to cry out, Abba, Father. In other words, there's something real and legitimate. He's not just this formal, hello, Mr. President. That's not it. 
But you also don't want to throw around profane phrases like we would refer. When people start using phrases and refer to God as, as I can't even say it. When you talk about God, you, you put a place of honor and preeminence in your heart when you talk about God. And don't ever give yourself permission to start thinking about God as some sort of an earthly anything. He gives us that analogy, but we're talking about somebody that's incredible. We're talking about somebody that created a space for us that we don't deserve. And while I'm going to dance this line between, hey, he's this august presence that you dead sure better understand and recognize, you're also talking about a God that can be touched with the feelings of our infirmities because he sent Jesus to experience them all, Hebrews 4. It's important. Fear is the enemy of faith. It causes everything to be viewed through the lens of fear. The last year is a good example of that for all of us. I heard a funny story about a lady one time who called an ambulance because she was experiencing pain from the top of her head to the bottom of her feet. Everywhere she touched was on fire with a level 10 pain. Finally, a very sharp physician gave her the news, ma'am, you have a broken finger. And that was the news she needed. You see, if you have a broken finger and you touch anything, everything's going to hurt. If there is fear in your heart, I can tell you that fear is something that will change everything about who you are and what you are. We all have our own fears. Mine are snakes and debt. No joke. God hath put enmity between thy seed. I don't have, I don't have a, a green mamba story or a black mamba story like Jonathan and David do. You know, uh, when their parents took them on missionary journeys, there were snakes that came up through the shower hole. I never had that. Or the, I'm not sure what it was. It was at the shower. It was the toilet. I've never said toilet in the pulpit before now, but I just did. Snakes are something that make chills go up and down my spine. The only good snake for me is a dead one. I've got friends of mine in the church in Missouri that have like pet snakes. I don't want to even think about that. I don't even want to think about it. Snakes to me just, I'm the guy that will turn around in the road and go back and run over the cotton mouth that just rolled over. I just, that's, that's how much I have a beef with, with snakes. And if you're in Peter today and you're a reptile person, I'm, I'm really sorry. I'll fess up after church. I'm, I'm mildly sorry about that. But then there's debt. I never, I, I had never known about debt before, before we went into business. And for those who are entrepreneurs and you've gone into business and you've gone and applied for cash flow at a bank or you've gone to apply for a loan before, I've never borrowed a lot of money. I wasn't worth anything. They wouldn't loan me anything anyway. So when we finally started going into the restaurant business in 2008, we had this moment where everything looked really good. The, the whole plan was, was amazing, except for one problem. Our builder kited money, and that just means that we paid him to do the job, and he said he did the job, but he didn't pay any of the subs, and so we got sued for about $300,000. $300,000, real dollars, not like fake dollars, not monopoly money, real dollars. I almost had a real heart attack. The only good thing about the 2008 and nine recession that, that killed everything is that the interest rates that we were living under saved us. I say saved us. 
They dropped from we were paying an 8% payment and we ended up paying almost a 3% payment. That 5% difference over five years, we were able to pay that back and we sold that business and we thank God for the privilege of getting out from underneath that debt. I learned the pressure of debt and I, I can tell you it changed my personality almost about debt. It is a real thing that when you talk about with me, it, it will change my visage. It will change everything about it. So whenever you think about your biggest fears, I think about those things of going broke or getting sued or maybe having to go through bankruptcy or something like that. Those are real things that people have to go through that are much worse than even than snakes, but I kind of put them in order. Now, to other people in my family, it's mice and lice. To my wife, if you say mice or lice, her day is wrecked. We all have our fears. Well, let's put it in a spiritual context. God explains reverence, fear, and love and how they kind of work together. In Deuteronomy 10 and verse 12, Now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, and to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep his commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I command you today for your good. Now in Matthew 22 he would say, He said unto them, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is likened to it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There's some rank of love, because Jesus would say, Unless you love me more than these, you can't be my disciple. He would even tell us to deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow him. In other words, God is first, self, and even everybody else is, is below. But that's not typically what we think about here. I want you to consider how love and fear, how closely they're connected here. If you're married and you're happily married, it's because you love your wife. That, rep that is representative of time and attention and care. If you don't give that time and attention and care, you had better fear losing her. Or you had better fear losing the happiness that you now enjoy. Because you, you changed the rules, so to speak. You changed the relationship. You see, the relationship with God is supposed to be just what we describe here. This wonderful thing. Love God. Put Him first. And the reciprocal that He does is He outgives us. In fact, our giving, our meager putting Him first and loving Him more than anything else, He supplies way more than we could ever... You'll never outgive God. But you can't ignore that relationship, and he has to be first. In Ecclesiastes 12, 13, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all, or man's whole duty. So they're very closely connected. If we're talking about great responsibilities and great commands, these are all required of us. In 2 Corinthians 5 and 10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive of the things done in the body according to what he hath done, whether good or bad. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. But we are well known to God, and I also trust are well known in your consciences. If you're living in sin, you should be afraid of God. But that's not how he wants you to live. But if we're away from God and we're living in sin... What you find is a convicting message in the Word of God. And you do not find a message where the preacher says, that's okay, no big deal. Not at all. You find bone-crushing statements about, hey, now is the time. 
Now is the day. Today is the day of salvation. Over and over and over again in Scripture. Because the threat of judgment day on sin is real. And because of this, the Bible teaches us to repent now. Acts 17, 30 and 31. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Well, let's clarify love and fear real quick. In 1 John 4, 15, here's what the scripture says. I'm going to camp out here through chapter 5, verse 3. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love and he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. Good stuff so far. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in the world. In other words, when judgment day is coming, you don't have to be afraid and scared of that. You get to look forward to dying without the dread associated with it as a lost sinner. There, there is no fear, verse 18. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear. Well, we've got to answer that. Because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? So we're getting to kind of what this entails. It's more than just the feeling I have for God. It involves some responsibility. Because the thing about love for God is God has always put responsibility on that relationship to him and to other people as well. Let's keep going. And this commandment we have from him who, that he who loves God must love his brother also. Chapter 5, verse 1, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves him, who begot him, also loves him who is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. If you want perfect love to cast out fear, Love God and obey His commandments. If you're tired of being afraid of God, if you've got in your deep core some sense of fear about God and your relationship with God, the way you get real close to God is you simply trust and obey. And one of the things in here that he describes as an acid test of that is how you treat other people, how you love other people. If you don't love your brother whom you have seen, how can you claim to love God whom you have not seen? In other words, the rhetorical is you can't and you don't. So we have to. Now, I want to say this. I haven't covered it this week. I think I said it this week, but if you want to know how to spell love, here it is. That's it. You want to spell love for God? There it is. You want to spell love for your brother? There it is. Don't reduce love for your brother down to how nice you are at the back door. That's an implicit, inherent characteristic of it. But this is what you you got to define it as. What, what are you saying, Colin? I'm saying you got to spend some time with people. you got to spend some time with God. And the more time you spend, the closer you're going to be. You want a great relationship with God? Spend some time with Him. You want a great relationship with God's people? Spend some time with God's people. If you don't want to be afraid of God, then get close to God. Because when you're close to God, you're not going to be afraid of Him. That's the beauty of a relationship with God. And perfect love can cast out fear. 
Fear does not have to be the controlling characteristic of our life. Satan's last weapon that he uses on us is fear and pain and death. And those are all coming our way. Every one of us. We all have to deal with it. In Romans 8.35, he used the illustration, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Tribulation. Shall tribulation, distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who has loved us. For I am persuaded, love this, we always read it, we got to read it again. I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Well, how is it that we bridge the gap between? How is it that we move forward and go over all the difficulties in our life? And the answer is our faith. You see, as much as we don't want to die, as much as we don't want to have to suffer, there are going to be moments where our faith moves us that direction. God gave us faith to win over the world and all the fears of the world. He said this, Whatever is born of God, for whatsoever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. The God of this world does his very best to make every Christian afraid. But here's what John gave comfort to the early church about in 1 John 2, 14. I have written unto you fathers because you have known him who is from the beginning. I have written unto you young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in you. And you have overcome the wicked one. And then he says, do not love the world or the things of the world. If any man love the wor loves the world, the love of the father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but it is of the world. And the world is passing away and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. So what's the answer here? Well, first of all, we had better be a people that have the word of God in us and we'd better be strong. Because there's going to be every temptation from the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life that does its best to destroy our relationship with God. The beauty of our relationship with God is it is sustained, our faith is sustained, regardless of what the world does, which one day, he said, will pass away. But when you do the will of God, you abide forever. Faith is real. And faith is something that can conquer the greatest fears. I can tell you this. Fear is something that I've known ever since I was little. I was the kid that had long legs for a reason to run the whole fight or flight thing i mean come on i mean don't say it i know yeah Colin, you're a lot fatter than you used to be when i was real little i was skin and bones it was a toothpick on wheels and i had some wheels i could run really fast something comes up buddy i could pedal my bicycle the the stumps at night we always had to be in our rule was you had to be in by dark no cell phones no nothing else we explored everything but you had to you better be in by dark well just about dark Stumps start looking like bears that are traveling. There's never been a bear where I live in North Arkansas. But a stump would, would turn into one, and man, I would pedal that bicycle for all I was worth to get away from. Maybe you can relate to circumstances where something just completely scared you to death. Your ears started ringing. You couldn't really hear anything. Everything kind of slowed down. You literally, your brain is like, everything in your body is telling you, hey, this is a serious situation. Well, I want you to put yourself in the, in the heart 
and in the decision-making of the Apostle Peter, who the night before Jesus was to be betrayed was told by Jesus, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. And he had just finished telling Jesus, I'll die for you. What I'm about to say about this is not some earth-shattering thing. The truth is, before everybody shoots their mouth off about what they're going to do and how they're going to do it and I'll never and I'll never whatever, there are circumstances where people can get afraid and they can do something that lets God down. And that happened to Peter. And in that moment of letting God down, Peter went out and wept. I want to tell you this about what it means to be fearful. And I want to tell you what it means to sin. I want to tell you what it means and how you can fix that. It's a beautiful thing. I think there's no doubt that Peter must have spent a lot, all that night weeping and, and probably no sleep came his way as he had let Jesus down. I don't know anybody in this room that would say, hey, I, I know somebody that's done something worse than telling somebody, I don't know Jesus three times. Do you want to know how not done with Peter Jesus was? Whenever they went and they found the empty tomb, go tell the disciples and Peter. When you get to feeling like you've listened to your fear, when you get to feeling like you've let God down, I want to tell you the story of Peter because it ought to invigorate inside of you. God's not done with you. He's not done with you. Because the Apostle Peter was the one that 50 days later would preach the first gospel sermon. And Peter in chapter 4 and chapter 5 of Acts would be the one that would gloriously say we ought to obey God rather than men and suffered at the hands of rods as they would beat them and command them not to preach in the name of Jesus. And they went out, listen, and praised God that they were allowed to suffer in the name of Jesus. In 50 days. There's going to be moments in your life where fear is gripping and it controls. But there's also something that's more powerful than your fears. And that was proven in the life of Peter. Peter was a guy that respected his life. He respected what, what was circling. He respected the political winds. But there was something more powerful. And the something more powerful is he that is in us and great, is greater than he that is in the world. And our faith is more powerful than any circumstance that man puts in front of us. Faith is just simply more powerful. In Luke 12 and verse 4, he said, My friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after they have no more that they can do. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him after he has killed, has power, has no power or fear him after he is killed has power to cast into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two copper coins and not one of them is forgotten before God? But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. And also I say unto you, whoever confesses me before men, him the Son of Man also will confess before the angels of God. But he who denies me before men, him will I deny before the angels of God. There are some passages about fear controlling us that have to be considered. 
In Revelation 21, he who overcomes shall inherit all things and I will be his God and shall be my son. But the cowardly and unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. You're like, man, I haven't done any of that stuff. Well, you're in good company. When I was little, when I was little, um, my brothers used to sing the whole Farrah Jacques and Norma Vu thing, and they would end it by going, liars go to hell, liars go to hell, burn, burn, burn. Because when it came time to get in trouble, I would hold out. And my dad whooped oldest to youngest, so I would just hold out. He'd whoop Chad and Kip first, then I'd say, I did it. And my brothers hated that. That was the liar's part. Kids don't lie. It's always going to come out. It's a bad deal. But the whole lying thing he's talking about here are really adults. People that are responsible and accountable before God. And I don't like it that it's in there that there's a possibility that I could live cowardly and not faithful. I don't like that. And what I don't want to do is cheapen my faith by not being willing to die for it. And just because we've lived in the United States all of our lives doesn't mean that we don't have brethren all over the world that have chosen to stand up for Jesus in meaningful, dramatic ways that have literally threatened their lives. When the Holy Spirit said, Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. That is a very dramatic statement. I don't believe it is one where Christians set out many times to be a friend of the world and say, I want to choose the world over God. But there are many times where we can play it out where that's essentially the effect. Many of you don't know this here in this audience. If you're visiting, the congregation here would certainly know this. Brother Joe Lee has been involved in foreign work for, I mean, probably all my life for sure. I'm 42, but he's been going to various places on the globe, primarily Africa, right? My brother Chad, my older brother Chad, he's eight years older than me, has been a member of the congregation in Springfield, Missouri, and I believe... Uh, when the elders, they're the late elders now, um, Virgil Hoagland and Dan Wissinger were the ones who kind of started this back in the day, if I'm not mistaken. But back then, it was a lot easier to travel and a lot less risky many times, but Joe got a letter in 2000. My brother sent this to me because it was just something he wanted me to pray for. And I thought it was useful to use in this sermon about fear because this is what it says. This is an email written by Brother Boniface in Nigeria, February the 12th, 2019 at 622 a.m. This is Brother Joe Norton. He had responded to a sermon or message that Brother Joe had sent him and he said, this message is beautiful and practical. I love it and will preach it and share it as long as God preserves our lives. Brother, you won't believe what Nigeria has become. Innocent people, especially Christians, are constantly murdered in cold blood, even as I write. And the way it's standing now, the Ishmaelites are doing everything to Islamize our nation. Their main obstacles are the Igbos or the Biafrans. There are no laws anymore as they keep breaking the rules. 
The present President Buhari has no respect or regard for the rule of law. He is arrogantly more than 100% nepotistic and the type never happened even once before. Recently, irrespective of our Constitution's position that Nigeria is a secular state, meaning freedom of worship, Sharia law has been forcefully established in about 12 states in the north, disregarding the other religions. Our government is like an Islamic government in almost every area. Their Islamization agenda is so naked, we are in real trouble. Nigerian presidential elections are coming up by this week, uh, Saturday the 16th of February. There are a lot of fears of what the outcome will be. The two main contenders are still two very corrupt Muslim jihadists. We're truly in a dangerous time. We never knew what would be of our nation. Many are daily oppressed, persecuted, threatened, intimidated, and some unjustly harassed, imprisoned, or murdered. It is hard to fully report all going on here. We seriously request your loving intercessions. We are highly appreciative in advance. We truly need your prayers. The brother that wrote that is a brother that was preaching I visited with Joel about this before church on a street corner in Nigeria, convincing people of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and he was shot and almost killed and bears in his body the marks of Jesus Christ. In fact, it was his marks are so egregious that the late Brother James Orton tried to get him surgery on it, and they would not allow him a visa to be able to do it. We have a brother that's requesting prayers because their ability to come and worship God freely like we're able to do here just doesn't exist. Brother Joe hasn't been able to go and visit. In fact, they, out of abundance of caution, have not allowed anyone from the states to be able to go. Joe told me harrowing stories of the last time or two that he was able to go where they were literally kidnapped and ransomed, thankfully in a very short amount of time, to get away from that circumstance. But that's hard for us to believe. It's, it's, it's hard to hear that. It's hard to hear that somebody would try to pull our little ones from our arms and use them against us to be able to say, denounce your faith. But that's exactly the way it was and that's exactly the religion that Jesus told us that we would have to live. He said when he called his people to himself and with his disciples also, he said, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will save it. Then he said this, for what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words and this evil and adulterous or this adulterous and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. What does the Lord expect of us? He expects us to be faithful. In fact, he said in Revelation 2, he said he expected us to be faithful until death. It means do what you've always done because it's the right thing no matter what circumstances are coming your way. We read passages like the Old Testament that inspire us. He said, and if it seems evil 
unto you to serve Jehovah. Choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve Jehovah. And the people answered and said, Far be it from us that we should forsake Jehovah to serve other gods. In the Old Testament, there were moments where the nation of Israel had seemed to kind of move away from their fervor. And it was time to get back and recenter. And it always was centered around the, a reading of the covenant. The, the people, the chief people, the chief leaders would gather the people together and they would read the covenant and they would say, we're going to stand in this covenant. And it would be a, 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 literally a revival among the nation. Men like Josiah. Men who had all kinds of stuff going on in their family that they had to endure. Men who had stress and circumstances that they found themselves in, but also men who were dead set that they would not turn to the right hand and they would not turn to the left. Faith is the bridge. and Faith is the way that we're able to handle the realization of what we have to do that we don't want to do. Because if you're listening to me today and you're hearing that Cullen's just advocating that we just... We just want to die. You've heard the wrong thing. But I'm going, to tell you, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen if somebody comes in this building. Let me give you an illustration. If somebody came in that door back there, God forbid this ever happened. But if somebody came in that door back there and they started shooting people, no man in this room wants to die and leave his family. But you have to know that there would be men that would be trying to get there to stop that and get a hold of that weapon to take it out of that man's hand that would stop that shooting, that's what would happen. No man that would get up out of his pew willing to die for his brother would want to do that. Nobody would say, I want to leave my wife and my girls and I want to die in that circumstance. Nobody would want to do that. But the willingness to lay down our life for our brothers is a New Testament teaching that is at the core of who we are. That doesn't mean we want to die. It just means that the situation dictates our faith requires it. And we already know what we're going to do. Or we've at least told ourselves what we're going to do. At school, we have to do active shooter drills all the time. Unfortunately, where we are in Louisiana, our little school is nestled by a lake. It's a beautiful campus. But we're like, if you drove from the police station to our campus, it would take about five minutes no matter how fast you were driving. They don't allow anybody on a school campus to have weapons outside of a school resource officer. But here's what he said. You got to go with no gun and you got to go with no vest. And if somebody's shooting, it's going to be over in 30 seconds you got to go get that gun, and if you don't get that gun, your boss has got to get that gun, or that coach has got to get that gun, or you've got to run them out of the hallway, and you just have to do it. They drill us on that, like literally we had a meeting about that Friday. Every time they come, we have a meeting about that. And so they're trying to talk us into it. Now, our sheriff tells us, that. now listen, when it comes down to it, there's going to be people that you think will and they won't. And there's going to be people that you think won't that will. But by and large, what will happen is, this is the truth. 
If you go after a teacher's classroom, it's incredible the response of defense from that teacher trying to save those kids. Like, it's almost universal type deal. I want you to stop and realize that what you read in the Bible, your faith that makes up your faith, is worth dying for. Every command, every teaching. We live in a humanistic world today that has overvalued our view of life for ourselves. It's basically our experience and us. What God basically requires of us is whatever the law says, we got to be willing to do it and even die to do it. That may not happen this year. It may not happen next year. But it's happening in the world. We've got brethren that that's happening to. And we've got to be willing to follow and do what the scripture says no matter what. A story that was interesting to me that helps me with this. It's a story of Navy SEALs performing a covert operation and freeing hostages in some dark part of the world. They had been flown in by helicopter and they had stormed a compound where these hostages had been imprisoned for months. The room was filthy and it was dark. The hostages were curled up in a corner all in a pack, terrified. When the SEALs entered the room, they heard the gasp of the hostages. They stood at the door and called for the prisoners, telling them they were Americans. However, the hostages did not move at all. They wouldn't move. They sat on the floor and hid their eyes in fear. They were not of healthy mind. And they just could not listen and understand commands from the Americans. The seals stood there not knowing what to do. They couldn't possibly carry everybody out. So one of the seals had an idea. He got his weapon and put it against the wall, took off his helmet and curled up tightly next to the other hostages where literally he was touching them. He softened the look on his face and put his arms around them, trying to show them he was one of them. None of the prison guards would have ever done this. He said, I'm a SEAL. I'm an American. I'm here to rescue you. Will you follow me? And slowly, one after the other, the hostages following the lead of the others got up and were led to safety. The hero stood to his feet, and as one of the hostages did, so the rest of them, and they were saved. All safe because one of the seals became a hostage for a moment in time to help them understand. When Jesus lived on this earth, he was able to help us understand how it really is. When I say how it really is, I'm talking in... in Bible terms, if you open your Bible to Matthew, the 26th chapter, in verse 36, we find Jesus in the worst part of his existence on the earth. This is a moment where he was sweating, as it were, great drops of blood. And the Bible says this in verse 36. And Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane. And said to the disciples, sit here while I go and pray over there. And he took with him Peter and the, son, the two sons of Zebedee. And he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. 
Then he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. And he went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, Oh, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Then he came to the disciples and found them asleep and said to Peter, What could you not, what, could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And he went again a second time and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if this cup cannot pass from me unless I drink it, your will be done. That's the answer. Because Jesus said, some of you are going to have to walk the same walk I did. And it's not wrong to not want to die. Not at all. It's not wrong to try to manage every consistent effort to stay alive. But at the end of the day, the Father's will was for Jesus to be sacrificed. And he said, not my will, but thine be done. And of all the things that our faith will help us with is that moment where not what we want, but whatever the will of God is. And if we can pray that and live that, we will live superior to our fears. Our fears are going to be natural. When you pick up the phone, when we have a sick kid, my mother-in-law has like an honorary doctorate degree with every local, you know, and she's worried about that kid. It's perfectly normal. That's wonderful stuff. Everybody in here gets in their car and they put on a seatbelt. We strap our kids in those buckets of misery, car seats. I'll never forget when we had the twins. I had never, ever, I had always felt like little kids were breakable. And so I never messed with little kids until we had our own. And then when I saw those nurses, how rough they were, I'm like, I think I can do this. But I wasn't sure my kids would survive the first car seat hookup. When this NICU nurse starts hooking them in and they got these little old bitty arms and legs and we're, we're ratcheting everything down. But we finally figured it out and they made it. The reason why we put them in their car seat, the reason why we buckle our seat belts, the reason why we do all the stuff that we do is because we want to do everything possible to not die and not get sick. And I think that's wise. That's good stuff. But there's going to come a day and there may come a day in our life where this is most likely what's going to happen. Our persecution is not going to be from people in this country killing us. It's going to be that we have to choose between our job and our faith in Jesus. It's going to be that you're going to be at school and somebody's going to make fun of you and they're going to ridicule you and you're going to have to choose to be alone with Jesus in that moment and not with your friends. You're going to be ridiculed on a level that's going to be more dramatic than ever before. You're going to be the one that has to say, no, my kids won't. No, we won't. Over and over and over. You're going to be at work and you're going to be at school and people are going to say, I'm going to get you drunk over and over and over again. There's going to be all kinds of things that now if you don't celebrate my sin with me, you're an evil, awful person and people frame it like that. And so we're put in those situations where our faith has to stand and there are going to be moments where it's going to feel like we're all by ourselves. You know what the Lord expects from you when you're all by yourself? To walk by faith in that moment. 
and you won't be by yourself. Paul would tell that the Lord stood by me when everybody rejected, when everybody had forsaken, or forsaken him. The Lord stood with him. There's never going to be a moment where you're going to really be by yourself. But more than ever before, for your faith to survive, you're going to have to spend time with God. And you're going to have to spend time with the one that God said you're going to be willing to die for. And that's your brethren. We're past the time. I think in 2020, we couldn't be together and we couldn't and we couldn't and we couldn't. And we're getting into 2021 and we still got all the restrictions. Maybe they're lax and who knows about the variants and all that good stuff. But at the end of the day, the one thing we cannot afford to do is we cannot afford to lose our love for God and we cannot afford to lose our love for each other. We cannot afford to do that. We can't do that. We've got to love. And you're like, that, that spells time up there. Yeah, I know. I'm doing it for a reason. We've got to spend time with God and we've got to spend time with each other. Because the people you're willing to die for are the people you spend time with. Our faith will lead us to spend time with God and our faith will lead us to spend time with our brothers and sisters who have the same goals. And what you're going to find out is when you spend that time because you love each other and you love God, God is going to supply a strengthening to your faith that allows you to do the right thing in the right way for the right reasons. And it's going to help you in the moments where fear is just the thing that grips you. There's a reason why the scripture says in Hebrews 10, 24, when we come together, we provoke one another unto love and good works. But it takes time. Listen, challenge. I don't care if you got to go stand out here. If that's the deal, if we got to stand outside on the outside, it doesn't matter to me. Mass, no mass. Listen, I'm, 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 I'll tell you this. I'll do anything to make anybody safe. I'll do anything to love anybody. I'll do anything in the world to do that. But what I know is this. we got to spend time with God and we got to spend time with each other. However we do that, we got to do it. we got to do it. Faith always wins over fear. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. God made it that way. When I say time, I mean practically put it on your Google calendar. I mean that you should not be the one that slides in here last and leaves first. You should not be the one that somebody has to have track shoes to catch. You should not be the one that nobody can ever get on the phone. You should not be the one that nobody ever hears from you. If we're the body of Christ, listen, we got to have time for God. Read and study his Bible. Show up for the assembly. Be here like never before. But also be here for each other. We have technology. God knows we know how to abuse it. At least the world does. Let's use it for each other. Let's check on each other. Let's spend that time. Because listen, sometimes you're going to be the one that has a moment where your faith is struggling and your fear is big. And you're going to have to rely on your brother and your sister to have a strong faith to help you through your weak faith moments. And that's the beauty of the body of Christ. And that's the result of time together. You isolate by yourself. You self-talk to yourself. That's not God's plan. He put you in the body of Christ and made you members one of another. And he intended on us being counter to our culture. And that means we're going to have to be together. We've got to make it happen. 
or resourceful people. I see talented people. I see people that know how to lead. I see people that know how to love. We've got to figure it out. Do not let the world and the busyness of the world and the stressors of the world and the fears of every news channel strip away our basic identity of who we are and what our faith looks like when it's being practiced. Because we cannot read the pa passages in 1 John 13 or, 1 John, or John 13 or John 15 where Jesus talks about, I'm going to show you what love looks like. And I'm going to tell you that it's going to be compelling to people that are outside like never before. This is going to be critical for us, but also as an evidence that we are the followers of Jesus Christ. It's critical, necessary. You guys have done a great job. I'm so glad we're able to be together this weekend. Again, there's nothing I won't do to make anybody else feel comfortable. But I'll tell you this. We've got to encourage each other, and we've got to push each other forward in 2021. Maybe you guys didn't lose anybody. Maybe you guys can't think of a single, single family or a single name that was not overtaken in some of the difficulties of 2020. But I can, I can tell you, there's some people on my heart right now that I think of their names and their faces. And they haven't been able to make their way back from, from fear and from all kinds of stuff. Faith has to be more powerful than our fear. And it can be and it will be when you love God and you love your brother. It can be and it will be when that's the thing that's more important than any other. I invite you to hear the gospel one final time in this meeting. Jesus died, he was buried, and he rose again. And that death was a sacrificial death for your sins and for mine. He said, go preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. That was his plan, not mine. That plan is extended as a promise. It is a promise we stand on. It is a promise that we announce to the world. The repentance and confession he announced were in Luke 13 and 3 and Matthew 10, 32 and 33. If you're here and you've not done that, we want to baptize you into Christ because it's the answer of your good conscience by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it is the power of God to wash away your sins. It's not anything you do or earn. It's not anything we're offering you as a merit badge. This is something that you respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. But maybe you've done that and you need our prayers. Maybe fear has overtaken you and you want our prayers. For some letdown, you've, you've, maybe you've let God down and you feel like you need to pray about that. And that's a wonderful thing. Listen, you do not have to come up in this assembly to pray to God. But I'm going to tell you something. There is a blessing in prayers of other people interceding for you. You're a priest, 1 Peter chapter 2. Jesus is your high priest, Hebrews 2 and Hebrews 4. But we can all be your intercessors for you. And if you're struggling with something and you're going through something and you're feeling like your faith is not as strong as it should be and you've got something that's just absolutely overpowering your mind, get people to pray for you. It's a powerful thing. You're bending the, the ear of the most powerful being in all the universe. And that is no small thing. That is no small thing. Won't you come while we stand standing, while we sing? Thank you for listening to the Green Oaks Church of Christ podcast. If you have any questions regarding this study or about the church, please reach out and we're happy to help in any way possible. 
You can find our information at greenoakschurchofchrist.com.